top five anything just gives me anxiety, to be very honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm like, what? What's up, listeners, and welcome to this Force 5 mini episode. I'm your host, Jason Kleberg. On today's show, I want to talk about a podcast oh I've been listening to, two things I've been playing, and a few things I've been watching, ending with a review of the 1975 film A Boy and His Dog. But first, last week, I re-ran top five vampire films. Now, I don't listen to my own podcast. I hear way too much of my voice while editing, and I never really need to listen, aside from like a once in a while quality check. But I hadn't heard the vampire episode in about a year, so I gave it a spin, and there were two things I thought while listening to it. First, I thought it was a really good episode, and Derek Murray was a great guest. And second, we missed some really great vampire films, and I knew that the internet would be quick to let us know what we missed. Not in the top five, did they get it right? Excuse my language. Okay. Hell no. <laughs> I can't believe. Who, who made that list? Who made that? That's blasphemous. Don't look at me. <laughs> That's blasphemous. At author Leve said, only lovers left alive. At DBS underscore press said, I can't believe no one said Nosferatu yet. Granddaddy of them all and it still can't be beat. Also, not a great film by any means, but Son of Dracula with Harry Nilsson and Ringo Starr has to be seen to be believed completely batshit crazy. So, yeah, I, I definitely need to seek out Son of Dracula because I have not seen that. I didn't even know that there were Beatles and, uh, well, Harry Nilsson was kind of like uh, the fifth Beatle. So I, I got to check that out. Your next favorite movie at YNF Movie Pod said I actually did a vampire movie draft on the pod back in October. So I got to go back and listen to your next favorite movie podcast. And you guys should, too, because it's a really good show. At October Pod VHS said George Romero's Martin, which we'll talk about in an upcoming episode. I also said Salem's Lot from Toby Hooper. Mentioned Nosferatu, all the Hammer Draculas, Dracula's Daughter, Return of Dracula, uh, Blood and Roses, and Life Force, which is an interesting pick. If I had thought of Life Force as a vampire film, it definitely would have made my list. I love that movie. Stu World Order at SWO Productions said both the original and remake of Fright Night. At Cinna underscore Ronin had Nosferatu at the top as well, but also mentioned Near Dark, which was on my honorable mention list. Dracula from 1931, Horror of Dracula from 1958, Vampire from 1932, and Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. At Vampirus Me said uh, O Barau, O Barau by Edgar Pera from 2011. I have not seen this i have not heard of it but uh i guess we have to check it out my boy carlo from the movie loot which you can find me on a couple episodes back said he did a vampire episode back in october check that out and uh his number one was interview with the vampire the get me another pod those guys have been on this show before daughters of darkness has got to make the lists a good choice there john c talese another past guest had a couple of suggestions underworld 30 days of night and what we do in the shadows my boy eric holmes from cinematic came through with a bunch of different ones my heart can't beat unless you tell it to uh, the, the Last Voyage of the Demeter, which I really, I still want to see. Thirst, Daybreakers, Blackula, and he says, legit good movie, not as cheesy as you might think. And he also mentioned Bordello of Blood. And finally, Joseph Bridges, another friend of mine from Cinematics, mentioned A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. 
A big thank you to any list nerd who gave me a vampire film suggestion. I'm just going to stockpile these until October. It's going to be a real fun, real bloody month. All right, a couple cool things that I've seen, played, listened to. First up, Cold Season 1. I'm not really somebody who's into true crime podcasts, true crime stuff. It's just not really my jam. But during the holidays, some of my favorite podcasts took breaks, and I was looking for something interesting for dog walks and errands, and I was recommended Cold. I am way late to the Cold fandom. I think they're kicking off Season 3 or 4 right now, but it's a really well-produced podcast with great journalism by the host and his team. I highly recommend checking this out, although I do wish that they had not come out in the very beginning to say what happened in the case at the end of it. I imagine that certain episodes would have hit even harder had they kept things closer to the chest because I'm not somebody who is familiar with this case. Uh, I think that could have made it a little bit better, but it's a really well-produced, very in-depth, really good podcast. I also played two movie-adjacent video games in the last two weeks. One is Spider-Man 2 on PS5, which I was gifted for Christmas. And while I'm only about a third of the way through, it's really fantastic. And if you're a fan of the most recent Spider-Man films, I think you're really going to enjoy this. The main character looks kind of like a hybrid, like they were going for a Tom Holland thing, but... You also got Miles Morales in there, and uh, just the it really makes you feel like you're swinging through New York City as Spider-Man. Really great game. The second is RoboCop Rogue City, which is really, really fun. Uh, I got this one on Xbox Series X, and in this one, you play as RoboCop, an absolute tank who's just taken on the criminals of Detroit. I hadn't played a RoboCop game since RoboCop vs. Terminator back on the Sega Genesis, but this one rips Highly recommended. It's a single-player adventure, so if you're like me, you got kids at home and you, you just want to relax and unwind at the end of the day with an hour of uh, killing bad guys, you got that right here. Highly recommend this game. All right, let's get into the featured review for this week. It is A Boy and His Dog from 1975. The year is 2024. If you have a dog that can sniff out food, you eat. If he can sniff out ammunition, you survive. And if he can find you a female, don't lose him. He's man's best friend. See A Boy and His Dog, an R-rated, rather kinky tale of survival. Under 17, not admitted without a parent. I'm not sure why, but the first movie I watch every year feels kind of special for some reason. It's like your letterboxed account starts anew, rife with possibilities, and typically I want to kick things off in a satisfying way. And for some people, that's going to be New Year's Evil, you know, kicking off with that slasher vibe to start the year. For me, the choice was really easy. A Boy and His Dog. Now, I chose this film for one reason, and one reason only. It takes place in 2024. A 2024 that the poster laments is a future you'll probably live to see. While the title made me envision a light-hearted future set romp, this film is anything but. As the opening text crawl explains, World War III happened and lasted 30 years, finally ending in the early 80s. 20 years later, World War IV kicked off, but it lasted only five days when nuclear war obliterated most of civilization. Now, most of the world lives in pockets of shantytowns, strung together with wreckage from the blasts. Days spent finding food with the hope of surviving just one more day. Our tour guides for this new landscape are Vic, an 18-year-old who looks 30 because he's played by a 30-year-old Don Johnson, and his telepathic dog named Blood. The two need each other, 
Blood sniffs things out for Vic as a scout, and in return, Vic shares his bounty. It's explained that somehow the genetic engineering used to give Blood his powers disabled his ability to forage for himself, which seems kind of silly because he's foraging for Vic, but that's the only explanation provided. Here's where things get really unsettling and very dicey if you're planning on attaching yourself to any character in this film. Blood, the dog, isn't just sniffing out food. That's just one of two things Vic is interested in on a daily basis. Blood is also sniffing out women for Vic to rape. Blood has a desire to find this mythical over-the-hill place, which he overheard somebody talking about. It's described as an above-ground utopia where grass and food grow, and for Vic, there may be women to have sex with. Now, look, spoilers are going to come from this point on because I need to talk about where the movie goes, which is absolutely insane, in order to really express my feelings about it. I am not going to spoil the last scene, which has become infamous among viewers. So just a warning, there are going to be spoilers for the second and third acts of this movie, although I will not spoil the very end of the film. At one point, they find a woman named Quilla Jean during one of the duo's rape hunts, which lead them to an underground society called Topeka. Little do they know that Quilla Jean is a scout sent to the surface to bring people like Vic into Topeka. So Vic leaves his dog behind. He heads there, a place that is weird enough on the surface. People are dressed as clowns and in white face makeup and are wearing old school clothing like this old Americana 40s, 50s type of stuff. But Vic is excited because he's told that he's going to be used to fertilize the female population. Hey, now Vic doesn't have to rape anymore. What Vic doesn't realize is that they're going to sperm farm him while he's strapped to a bench and pumped by a machine. And then it becomes a story about Vic trying to make his way out of this town with Quilla Jean, while her ultimate goal is to take out the robot enforcer in the town so she can take it over. I'm telling you, this movie, the plot of this movie is batshit insane. And if you thought that was weird, just wait until how it ends. And I'm not going to spoil that. Uh, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> just wild. The last scene is crazy. I will say that Harlan Ellison was not a fan of the film's ending. He is the author who wrote the book that this was based on. It changed dialogue from his source material, and in response, he said that the film had a, quote, moronic, hateful, chauvinist last line, which I despise, end quote. Uh, I agree with Ellison, but I'm going to expand his thoughts to the entire film. This is a moronic, hateful, chauvinist film. The one sheet promised some sort of titillation with the tagline, an R-rated, rather kinky tale of survival. Instead, it's a misogynistic, post-apocalyptic fantasy, one in which women are simply currency to be used, bought, sold, and thrown away. There's nothing kinky about it. The main character instead comes across as a disgusting pervert. Now, that's not my main problem with a boy and his dog. My main problem is that it's boring. Roger Ebert seemed to agree with me, writing in his two-and-a-half-star review that, quote, there's not much to do in 2024 except sleep, eat, and kill, but a few scratchy old porno movies have survived, and sometimes people watch them, end quote. Things don't really get going until the third act, and even once they get to Topeka, it's not fun or interesting enough to warrant another viewing. The banter between Vic and Blood goes from amusing to annoying in less than a scene, and rather than endearing me to the characters, it repelled me from them. On the other hand, it's hard not to recognize the influence this cult film has had on properties that I do love, particularly the Fallout video game series. 
Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas are two of my favorite games of all time. In fact, I wrote an hour-long pilot for a Fallout TV series that obviously didn't end up going anywhere, although there is going to be an Amazon Fallout TV series coming soon, which I am looking forward to. I'm sure I still have it somewhere. Maybe I'll post it. But think about this. When you play Fallout, fringe groups living in underground bunkers trying to embrace some visage of vintage Americana. It's one of Fallout's building blocks. So whether the developers got it from this film or from Harlan Ellison's original text, this story had to be an influence. I don't imagine my review compelling anybody to seek this film out, but if you are interested, Shout Factory released A Boy and His Dog on Blu-ray about 10 years ago, and it's still available for $20 or less at most online retailers. The Blu-ray looks good and has two extras. The first, and most substantial, is a commentary with the director L.Q. Jones, Los Angeles Times film critic Charles Champlin, and the cinematographer of the movie, John Arthur Morell. It's not great. Uh, L.Q. Jones spends a lot of time making self-deprecating comments, seemingly hoping for the others to prop him back up, which most of the time they do. The other extra is a long interview between L.Q. Jones and Harlan Ellison, and that's actually pretty good. Jones and Ellison had a lot of bad blood about how the film turned out, but this interview proves that they buried the hatchet and put that all behind them. So that's A Boy and His Dog. I watched it because it uh, took place in 2024, and I am sure glad that we do not live in that world. Thank you for listening to this mini-episode. I hope that you join me next week when Ryan Verrill from Disconnected joins me to talk about the top five Blu-ray releases from 2023, and we talk about some real great discs. Can't wait for you to listen to that one. I swear, every time I talk to Ryan from Disconnected, I just get more and more excited about physical media, the state of physical media, and uh, just collecting overall. So that puts a bow on episode 137 of the Force 5 podcast, and I will talk to you soon.